Powell Windows and Doors of Wisconsin's wide range of beautiful wood designs can be painted, stained, or unfinished to complement any decor. Put no money down, no payment, and no interest for up to 24 months. Visit PellaWI.com. Expires 9-30-2022. Certain restrictions apply to showroom for details. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the program. All right, so yesterday... I was talking about the, again, the, the out-of-control juvenile crime. We were talking about the, the 16-year-old kid that got what was murdered at, at, at midnight out on the streets. And I mean, this is, of course, a recurring theme because on an almost daily basis, you can have the stories that are making the news, and they're just the ones that are making the news, about criminals in general, but juveniles in particular that are running the streets. You had the story last week about the 12-year-old and the 15-year-old girls driving the stolen car, leading the cops on a high-speed chase. I mean, it's just one after another after another. And I was just talking about... I. I See, I remember these things. Remember um, at the start of the summer, after you had that, that shooting incident on in the Water Street area? Remember, you, you had this press conference, and you had the new mayor, and you had the police chief, and you had the city attorney, and you, you had people saying, okay, look, we're, we're sick of juvenile crime. Enough is enough. And what we're going to do is we've got this, this curfew ordinance in, in Milwaukee, and we are going to start enforcing it. And the curfew says that on, essentially on weeknights, people under 17 can't be out after 10 o'clock, and on weeknights it's 11 o'clock and, and things like that. And we're going to start enforcing it. And by the way, there's a provision that says that if the kid is out late, you can also give the parents a ticket. And, and at the time, I, I admit this is kind of my skeptical sense self, and I said, "Look, why, why are we even bothering with this? Because there's not the resources to do this, and you know, you give out these tickets, and nobody's going to pay them, and this is this kind of like useless virtue signaling." And some people said, "No, no, no, they're serious this time. They're, they're serious this time, and, and they're they're really going to start to use this as a way of cracking down." So yesterday, when we were speaking about the the whole I mean it seems like every time you turn around you've got you know juveniles at three o'clock in the morning out on the street and I said you know this would be what we used to call a flagrant act of journalism to you know I, I wonder how many how many curfew violation tickets have have they issued and interestingly I got a got an email from one of our listeners who said Jeff I caught part of your show yesterday related to curfew enforcement in the city of Milwaukee I too became curious as to how this has been enforced. So I filed an open records request with the Milwaukee Police Department. Now, this is, you, you would think that maybe there was some reporter with the Journal Sentinel or maybe some reporter sitting around one of the TV news stations that would have done this, but no, this is one of one of our listeners files this. And I have my response. I have the response from the Milwaukee Police Department on this. Now, I, I want you to just imagine, and I want you to think of a number, and that was my, my challenge, and we've gotten lots and lots of responses to this, um, but this is the challenge. I mean, think, okay, so imagine, you've got the city of Milwaukee, and we, we know what the crime problem is, and we know that we have lots and lots of juveniles that are out on the street during the summer. So we're talking June, July, and August. So, I mean, just just think of, 
gosh, a typical Friday or Saturday night in the city of Milwaukee, and, and imagine how many juveniles there are out on the street in violation of, of the curfew. I mean, what uh, on, on any given night, probably hundreds at, at a minimum, and some nights probably lots, maybe you could even say thousands. So you, but, you know, regardless, what, whatever, just imagine a typical Friday night, imagine how many juveniles would be out there, you know, after curfew that would be targets of the these you know the these curfew violation tickets that we were talking about issuing just so imagine how many people are breaking curfew on a given saturday night in in july just so just imagine that so then extrapolate that during the course of the summer my god you know this is you know probably you know more curfew violations on a friday or saturday night than a monday or tuesday night but you know if there's hundreds and hundreds on friday or saturday there's certainly at least probably dozens on a given monday i mean you you would you would think that if this was seriously something that was going to be enforced like we were told certainly the numbers would be thousands because you know there's that many violations that are going on I have the number. So what, whatever the number is in, in your head, all right, maybe you said, well, gosh, there's got to be a couple thousand of, of these curfew violations, the tickets that are issued. Well, if you said, let's say 4,000, you would be high. All right. All right. Maybe that, that's a lot. Police are busy. And uh, if you said 2,000, where would that be? No, if you said 2,000, that would be high. A thousand. Surely they've written a thousand tickets. I mean, it, it's the summer. I mean, you, you drive down the streets, you see these kids. I mean, every time you pick up the, you know, you turn on the radio or you watch the TV news or you go to one of the websites, you're seeing about these juveniles that are just these large roving packs of kids that are out in the middle of the night. Surely a thousand citations. You would be wrong. All right. Well, well maybe this is something new that they're trying to get to. So maybe, maybe, all right, 500, 500. 500 for the entire summer, right? You'd think that. If you said 500, you would be wrong. 250, eh, you'd be wrong. 100, you would be wrong. 50, you would be wrong. The answer, according to, this is the response from the Milwaukee Police Department's open records section, Dated September 13th, 2022, in response to the question of how many citations were issued for citywide violations of the curfew ordinance between June 1st and August 31st of this year, the response is 15, 15 curfew violations for the summer, 15. Now, look, I I know I know that the police, and this is not a criticism of the police department. It's not, because I I understand that the police department is out there. They're they're dealing with the 12-year-olds and the 15-year-olds who are driving the stolen cars at 95 miles an hour. They're dealing with the the 16-year-olds that are in gun battles and and getting shot. I I get it. They're dealing with the 15-year-olds that are out there carjacking cars. So I understand that this is, is there. I only point this out because... When are we going to say this virtue signaling is crazy? You know, when, when they had this big press conference and we're doing the curfew and we're, we're going to use this and we're going after the parents, you know that nobody was serious about that. And yet, you know, you say these things, okay, you, you get the applause, oh, that's great, now we're going to really crack down on it. And, and nobody, 
Nobody does anything about it. Fifteen. You know, Scott Warris correctly said, if you wanted to give these curfew tickets out, you could give them out like popcorn on any given Friday night. Hundreds, maybe thousands of curfew violations that are out there. Certainly hundreds, maybe even more than that. Fifteen citations issued. I don't have the breakdown as to whether these were all issued to the kids or whether some of them might have been issued to the parents. But why don't... Why do we even bother with this type of stuff if we're not going to enforce it? It's always been this joke. Now, for me, again, I'm an advocate of broken windows law enforcement, which means you stop the little stuff before it gets to be bigger stuff. And yes, I would, rather than taking the, these millions of dollars that we've funneled into the the just giant pit that is the Office of Violence Prevention that's accomplished actually nothing. Yeah, I, I would be putting that money into, if we really cared about juvenile things, putting some more officers on the street or task forces or whatever that are designed to do precisely this, round up the kids that are out after curfew because nothing good happens on the mean streets of Milwaukee when you're 15 years old at 2 o'clock in the morning. Nothing good happens rounding those kids up, giving them the citations, giving their parents the citations, hauling them down to the juvenile center, making mom and dad come out and pick them up. I I would be all in favor of of that. And if we wanted to spend money, maybe let's do it. But otherwise, let's just, if we're not going to do it, let's just acknowledge that it is a joke that we are essentially giving up on juvenile crime or we're certainly not going to use curfew violations. Fifteen the entire summer. You cannot make this stuff up. The Gunslinger is back where he belongs. Catch Brett Favre with Jen, Gabe, and Chewy Monday mornings at 7.30 on 94.5 ESPN. And again at 5.15 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News on WTMJ. Presented by Orthopedic Associates Wisconsin and sponsored by Concordia University of Wisconsin and Island Resort and Casino. Jeff, weren't there more than 15 teens shot in that time period? Well, I don't know, but there's been a number of teenagers that have been shot um, there's also, I guarantee you that there's been a lot more than 15 who've been arrested for stealing cars and things of the like. I, again, look, look, this is just, the, the point is we have a juvenile crime epidemic and we have people who, again, pose for holy pictures and say, okay, we, we've got this and this is what we're going to do and we're going to crack down on it. And then there's absolutely no follow up to, to this. And I think it ends up getting frustrating. The flip side of this is is the other end. It's the no crackdown on juveniles. And then again, it's what we are continuing to do when it comes to dangerous criminals. Now, I've highlighted this. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. When Tony Evers took over, one of the things that he said was that he wants to reduce the Wisconsin prison population by 50%. Mandela Barnes is also on record as saying he wants to do that. There's only two ways that you can reduce the Wisconsin prison population by half. First of all, is not send as many people to prison. All right? Does anybody out there really think that that's a good idea? And I think most reasonable people would say no. The flip side then is, okay, we're not going to send as many people to jail, so what we also have to do is we have to release a bunch of the people that are in jail early. And that's what's been happening with the parole system that has been set up. 
Evers appointed a, a very, very liberal guy who has since been fired to head the parole commission. And with the blessing of the Evers administration, the parole commission has been turning loose people right and left. And there's a website called Wisconsin Right Now, which has been highlighting this. And, and I have a link to their latest piece up today. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner's uh, 620. Since 2019, Governor Tony Evers' parole commission has released at least 884 convicted criminals, freeing them early on parole. Among the people, and this isn't all, hey, we, we've got some guy that's, you know, some nonviolent criminal. Of the people that have been released, they include more than 270 murderers and attempted murderers and more than 44 child rapists. Here's the story that they are focusing today. Christine Acevedo was a much-loved mother of three when her ex-boyfriend, James Block, strangled her to death. The murder was brutal. According to newspaper articles from the time, James Block first strangled Acevedo, but then revived her. He then put his knee on her neck and chest, asphyxiating her to death. Die, and then a word I choose not to use on the radio, he said as he stood over her. She begged for her life. The family has published many remembrances to Christine in a Kenosha newspaper. Year in, year out, they would remember her. Christine's daughter, Patricia Logan, told Wisconsin right now she did not even find out that Block had been paroled for a year. He strangled and revived her, and she was fighting. He put his knee on her neck. I was shocked he got out. Life is life. You took a life. You don't get to breathe fresh air. My mother doesn't get to breathe fresh air. Why should he? Um, and then the woman goes on to talk about this, the Evers philosophy of, of let's turn people loose. She describes the her murder of her husband, of her mother's, um, the release of her murder of her, of her mother as being incredibly traumatic, reigniting PTSD that she struggled with since she was a 12 year old girl, suddenly informed that her mother was murdered. The parole commission paroled James Block on July 7th of 2020. Um, he was convicted of first-degree intentional homicide, sentenced to life, did not qualify for mandatory release. The decision to release him on parole was a choice. He is 60 years old. And to make matters worse, the um, family says we didn't even know about this. You know, we weren't even told that he had been released. You know, we just found that out later on. Um, when she found out he was released, uh, she said, "I had a." When she found out he was released, she said, "I had a bad feeling he got out." She called the victim witness's office to ask. I found out he'd all been released for a year. I was beside myself. So they didn't even contact the victim's family to tell them that, hey, you know, we know you've been opposing the release of this guy for years and years and years, but you know what? We've decided to release him. They didn't even have the decency to contact the victim's family and say, hey, um, we're we're going to turn the murderer of your mother free on parole. That life sentence, well, it doesn't really mean life. And this is happening on a daily basis. And for people who believe that what's been going on over the last couple years is just, well, we're only going to release... You know, low offenders. These are people that are in prison because they got caught selling a little bit of pot. 
That's not the type of people, or at least that's not some of the people, that the Evers administration is turning loose back on the street. And Wisconsin right now is committing what, again, we describe as a flagrant act of journalism by highlighting one after another, after another, after another, just like when you had the guy who was responsible for killing all those people in the Waukesha Christmas Parade, and we were told, well, yes, he was out on a stupid low bail, but it, that was an aberration. Just as we're finding that wasn't an aberration, we're finding that the people being released on parole aren't low-level offenders, but rather are people who committed just incredibly horrible crimes. And just like we're, we're told, oh, we're going to start cracking down on, on these juveniles and we're going to use curfew and things like that, none of this is happening. You have a system which is very, very, very badly out of control, and nobody seems willing to do anything about it. <laughs> Hey, Wisconsin, the leaves are starting to fall, and you know what that means. It's time for Wagner's Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank. This week, we are featuring Outdoor Living Unlimited, the premier outdoor living specialists. You can contact them at their number, 262-567-4513, or visit their website at OutdoorLivingUnlimited.com. It's Wagner's Home Improvement Showcase on Wisconsin's radio station, 620 WTMJ. Yeah, um, if you're looking at what's going on in the stock market today, again, another one of these days where it's not a pretty sight. As I sit here now, the Dow Jones Industrial Average down 818, which is 2.5%. The tech-heavy NASDAQ continues its plunge. It's down 446, which is 3.64%. The S&P 500 down 2.85%. In other words, it's ugly. And, And one of the things... That's really interesting about this is if you would have looked at the futures, if you looked at where the market was before the opening, uh, the Dow was supposed to be up 200 points or so. That's where it was projected to open. Now it's down over 800. So what happened over the course of the last couple hours? And look, and I understand that the way some people say, well, you don't care if the stock market goes down. Well, yet yes and no. I, I understand it's only a loss when you, you actually cash in the stock. But for those of you who are nearing retirement or living on fixed incomes or are investing your hard-earned money in the stock market, the, the fact is that, that is that is real money that you are losing on a regular basis. And there's not really – I don't have any options as to what you should do with it other than just kind of ride it down. But what what happened? Why is the market cratering today? And that is because, once again, remember last, well, it was last July, so over a year ago, Joe Biden came out and said, hey, we don't need to worry about, you don't need to worry about inflation. It, it's going to be, and the word he used, he said, it's going to be transitory. You know, well, you know, transitory is, all right, it's it's going to pass soon. He said, so don't don't worry, you know, no problems with this. Well, I don't know what Joe Biden's definition of transitory is, but for most people, transitory isn't, you know, going on, what, like a year and a half. So here's what happened today. They came out with the the new consumer price index, which measures, you know, inflation. And the hope was that inflation would actually be going down. We hope that we would see a decrease. 
didn't happen. The Labor Department said today that the Consumer Price Index, a broad measure of the price for everyday goods, including gasoline, groceries, and rents. And because gasoline prices had been going down a little bit, the hope was, okay, this is going to like offset increases in other things. Didn't happen. Um, it rose 8.3% in August from a year ago. So if you would go back to August of 2021 and compare prices, apples to apples, same sort of stuff, those goods now cost 8.3% more in August of 2022. Even more troubling is the fact that prices climbed 0.1% in the one-month period from July. So in other words, in July, the increase had been 8.2% from last July. This year, 8.3% for last August. And this was higher than what um, economists had planned. It is a very worrisome sign for the Federal Reserve because now it looks like almost a certainty that the Federal Reserve is going to, in an effort to fight inflation, continue to jack up interest rates, which will make it more difficult for people to take out loans to buy houses and things like that. And, of course, part of the other problem is that as long as Joe Biden keeps giving away money that we do not have. Here, we're going to give an extra $10,000 to everybody who has a student loan and makes less than a quarter million dollars. If you're married, that that's more inflation that's just being poured into the economy. So the, the stock market continues it, its plunge. The amount of wealth that's been lost just in this last year is kind of staggering. But more importantly, when it comes to the impact on all of us, Prices are continuing at incredibly high levels, and it doesn't appear that we're getting a grip on inflation. And like I say, I'm look, I'm not going to crow about the fact that I put gasoline in my tank today, and it was $3.59, I think, and maybe you can find it for a little more expensive someplace. Maybe you can find it for a little bit less. I'm not going to crow on the fact that I, I paid three sixty a gallon instead of 5 bucks a gallon when you know we probably should be paying less than two fifty a, a gallon for gasoline. But any savings you had with gasoline was more than eaten up by the cost of other goods. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, I think, again, when we talk about inflation, sometimes it's just one of the, these concepts that, that, that the people have. Well, you know, th- this is, it's just something that economists worry about. Well, no, inflation is something that hits all of us. And it has, it's very regressive. By that I mean it has a, a more significant impact on people who have less money than people who have more money, simply because nobody wants to spend more money for gasoline or goods or services or whatever. But if you're more well off, you just kind of bite the bullet and, and you do it. If you're less well off, you have to start making some of these tough choices like, okay, you know, if I got to put gasoline in my car, and it's now costing a lot more, where do I do, you know, where am I going to cut back? What does that mean I'm not going to do? Our number is 855-616-1620. If we should be able to agree on nothing else, it is that when Joe Biden a year ago said inflation was transitory, he was mistaken, and we'll use that word, because inflation has been pervasive over the course of probably going back now the last year and a half. And I think it is still having impact on day-to-day lives. So how are you 
coping with the increased costs that are out there. How are you dealing with inflation? Because it's not going away. 855-616-1620. How is this impacting you? We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620. Now, whenever I talk about the stock market, I, I always have some people who will text and say, it, it, it doesn't matter if the stock market goes up or down. Don't you know that over the last 50 or 60 years, the stock market's always been up? Well, it, it does matter. I mean, I guess it depends on what point in time your your life you're in. But if you're a young person who's just starting out trying to invest and all of a sudden you look and you see that every dime that you've put in and your 401k plan or whatever has now disappeared, well, it's tough to convince you to continue putting that money in. And if you're somebody who is a little bit older and either in retirement or getting ready for retirement, it matters a lot what the value of your assets are. Here's one of our texts. Jeff, stock market accounts are real money. I'm 66. I met with my broker yesterday to plan my imminent retirement. The losses this year have resulted in $1,000 less per month disbursement than they projected last year. Well, yeah, it, it, it has, you know, it has this very, very real impact because you look at, all right, what you have, and then you say, all right, you know, how, how much can I take out to live on a month? And when all of a sudden your accounts are down 10%, 15%, 20%, 30%, if you think it doesn't have a huge impact, well, you're not paying attention. And if you think this isn't an impact on, on the middle class, et cetera, well, talk to anybody who's trying to save for retirement or save to buy the house or save to, you know, put their kids through college. Let's talk to Chuck in Fond du Lac. Chuck, you're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Well, uh, my plans were to retire this year, and after going through uh, everything, I, I just can't afford it. So I've got to put it in at least another year. And you were planning to you were planning to stop sometime soon. Yes, I was hoping to be done by the end of the summer, do a little traveling, go to a little warmer weather. But all those plans are going to be put on hold for at least a year, if not longer. Yeah, and I, I guess when you say at least a year, it's because you know who who knows if we continue to have you know. 10, 15, 20% declines in the stock market, no matter how conservative you are, you, you might end up working until you're 95 years old, Chuck. <laughs> That's very true. And the sad part about it is, is this is also affecting what I'm going to be able to leave my children when yeah. I leave this world. Yeah, no, it, it, it does. It's the very real impact. No, thank, thanks for the call. This is, so for people who say, why do you care about the stock market? And, and the other thing I get sometimes, it just, again, makes my head want to explode is, oh, that's only for rich people. You know, it, it's only the wealthy that care about the stock market. Well, I don't think so because for, for most responsible people, now, it, I understand that there's some people who work in industries or work for government and there's going to be pensions and, you know, that you think that the pensions together with Social Security is going to take care of you. But that most people, you don't get pensions anymore. So your responsibility is it's to take care of yourself in addition to whatever you're going to get from Social Security. And, and that means you're, you're investing. You're putting money in your 401k accounts, things like that. You're trying to be responsible because you want to build a, a nest egg. So when your nest egg drops by 10% or 15% or 20%, don't don't try to say, oh, it's no big deal. It is a big deal. But the other 
another impact on inflation. So, I mean, inflation is driving the stock market down. That that's one thing. But the other impact, again, it's the daily, the day-to-day things when we go to the grocery store to to buy stuff. And this is where the regressive nature of inflation really hits home. Because, like I say, if you're somebody who has more discretionary income, well, okay, that that's fine. You know, you you don't like paying you know more for the pound of hamburger or things like that, but you're you're still going to have the hamburger. You're going to do it, and maybe you're going to cut back on other things. But for a lot of people that don't have that extra discretionary income. What happen is, you know, what happens is that we're going to, you know, end up with a situation where they have to make cuts. Now, somebody says Joe Biden didn't didn't start the the war in Ukraine. Okay, here's here here, here's the deal. You can defend Biden all you want. Inflation in this country started going up well before Putin's invasion of Ukraine. It started in April of 2021 when Joe Biden signed off on the third stimulus payment well after the pandemic was over, putting a bunch more money in the economy without forcing people to have to go back to work. That's where the inflationary spiral started, and it hasn't stopped um, since then. Jeff, inflation is impacting my family tremendously. After losing a job and having surgery, um, you know, we raised some credit cards that are through the roof. In order to pay them, we have to, you know, utilize some food banks and things like that. Um, yeah, and, you know, and we we make a bunch of money, but still we're having to wrestle with this no question um jeff i am dealing with inflation by decreasing my charitable contributions jeff this is jimmy carter all over again yet you don't hear the similarities on network television it is very very if you can remember this it is very very reminiscent of the, the carter era and you know we haven't really dealt with inflation before but the problem i guess to me is you know we were told oh this is transitory it's a temporary thing and it now looks like that this is here for the foreseeable future and it's going to be a bumpy ride on the economy and it's going to impact us and you know for anybody who thought well maybe we're turning the corner well, or maybe there's light at the end of the tunnel. These numbers today suggest that that light at the end of the cu- tunnel is a train coming the other way. 2.30, actually. We are scheduled to be joined by the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin, Ron Johnson. Of course, in the middle of a heated re-election campaign. I want to talk to him about the inflation numbers today. Some of these attack ads that are out there saying that he wants to and Social Security and Medicare. This is this is one of the scare things that you see, you know, every election season run against Republicans. They want to end Medicare. They want to put old people out on that ice flow and send them off. We're going to ask him about that. And, and one of the, the latest attacks that's out there, the federal abortion ban. He supports a federal ban of, on abortion. That's what the claim is. I don't think that that's true, but I want to ask the senator about that. And some of the issues about his opponent that are not getting, at least in my opinion, any sort of attention in the mainstream media at all. So Ron Johnson is going to be joining me at 2.35 this afternoon. Today's TMJ4 had a, a, an 
an interesting piece yesterday about the operation of the deep tunnel. And I appreciate what they were doing, and I don't have any issue with it, other than there there's a larger asterisk that is out there. So for people who, who do not have, and, and the story is, we got a ton of rain over the last day or so. I mean, we spent a good portion of the show, show yesterday talking about how there was so much rain that you had the freeway that was closed because it was flooding. And there, there's no question, you have the, the deep tunnel, which is designed to accumulate excess, when you get excess water that is in, it's designed to act as a holding tank. It can hold up to 521 million gallons of water. The problem is you can never build a tunnel that is deep enough to hold when you have these epic rainfall events. So the only choice that that people have that, that run the MMSD, for example, Milwaukee Metropolitan Sewage District, is once the deep tunnel gets close to being filled up, their, their only choices are either to dump partially treated water into the lakes or to allow it to back up into people's basements. And, and so th- that that's not... That's not a good choice at all, and so that's when you have have the dumping. Now, before we had the deep tunnel, there used to be a lot more instances of dumping, but the deep tunnel cost an enormous uh, amount of money to build. And so I, I never criticize the people with the deep tunnel for dumping because if the thing is getting filled up, you, you can't have stuff backing up into people's basements, so it, it ends up going into the lake. And that's not a great choice. And so I never fault them for that. The problem is, and, and you can't, you can't divorce yourself from this. And the further we get away from the decisions, that the less people might remember it. The problem was years and years and years ago, before we had a deep tunnel, there were a couple ways that we could decide to handle the, the sewage issue. And one was, again, try to build this holding tank that's never going to be big enough. Or the second was, let's deal with the fundamental problem, which is in portions of Milwaukee and in Shorewood, the sewer system is combined. The sanitary sewer system, like where you're, you, you flush the toilet or the bath water, that mixes in with the storm sewers. And so as a result of this, you have all this rainwater that comes down and goes into the sanitary sewers. Now, the sanitary stuff needs to be treated. The stormwater doesn't. It doesn't hurt it to treat it, but it doesn't It doesn't have to be treated. In many, many communities, it just runs off and it goes into the lake and things like that. But it, it's not polluted. It becomes polluted when you mix it with the stuff that's coming out of people's toilets. And we made the decision, with given the fact that Milwaukee had a lot of power at the time, that instead of spending the money to separate the sanitary sewers from the storm sewers, what we did is we decided, okay, we're going to build this never-deep-enough tunnel, which has left us in this mess that we're in. There's always going to be dumping because of that decision. I don't fault the people at MMSD, but they're dealing with a flawed system. And this is always going to happen until we bite the bullet and say the city of Milwaukee and parts of Shorewood have to spend the money to separate the sewer system, the storm sewers, from the sanitary sewers. And unless and until they do that, there's always going to be dumping into the lake. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Mike Spaulding, my brother in sound. Before you leave, you were not here yesterday, and I can feel your pain because I saw the pictures. You had some up-close personal experience dealing with the flooding. 
Yeah, the saturated ground really got us. Our uh, 35-year-old uh, Russian olive tree took a nice tumble in our backyard yesterday. So it just it was like listing, and it just went up from the the roots. Is essentially what happened. Yeah, it was kind of growing sideways a little bit. It was probably time to for it to to get either trimmed up or to come down at all. And uh, Mother Nature made the decision for us and just listed it into the ground, ripped up the roots and everything. So were you? What time did this happen? Were you aware when it came down? No, not at all. So it happened at some point between when I went to bed at midnight and 7 a.m. Uh, I, I think because it was ground saturated, didn't get struck by lightning or anything like that, that it didn't violently fall down. It just kind of listed its way over and tapped our garage a little bit. But, uh, you know, when it's all said and done, taking everything into account, we got fairly lucky. So so you wake up. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so you wake up and what, what, when do you first notice it? Because there's got to be this kind of surprise going um, gee, the, the, the tree, honey, the tree is down. That, nope, that's exactly <laughs> what happened. We, we walk out, we have a, like a sliding glass door into our patio in the back end, which is, looks right into the tree. And I got up and kind of stretched a little bit and looked over out into the kitchen area and thought, man, it's, I know it's cloudy, but it's extremely dark out today. That's weird looking. Walked outside, took me a second to realize it because, like I said, it grew kind of sideways. So it was always pretty wide and tall. So I looked and, stared and thought that looks different and then the cobwebs went out of my head i looked <laughs> to the right saw all the roots and i was like oh that's because the tree fell down honey we have a project today um yes and you're not gonna love it now the good news is it did not land on your house just yes. make the garage didn't land on any cars didn't hit any of the neighbors houses which my guess is if it fall in a different direction it could have been a different story if it would have fell literally jeff almost any other direction it would have smashed into power lines and our um our garage and our uh fence or our house so it really fell uh in the you know, if there's going to be a perfect spot for it to fall, it really fell in the perfect spot. Well, we are not only brothers in sound, but we are brothers in falling trees. <laughs> I, I'll t- let me tell you my story. Yeah. When I used to, I used to live in Whitefish Bay, and we had this about it was a block and a half off the lake, and we had three giant oak trees that um, went back to the Civil War, wow. and one 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 died, and I had it taken down. So this is. It's it's in the it's sometime in the eighties or something, but it was one of those deals exact where it's just raining like Noah get ready to build a bo- boat, and it had been raining for several days, and so we're we're in our house, my late wife and I, and all of a sudden the doorbell rings. It's ten thirty at night. You know who, who's ringing the doorbell? And it's Whitefish Bay police officer, and it's a nice woman who said, "Are you aware that your tree is down?" And it's still like I mean, it's pouring rain. What? What? You know, you kind of mm-hmm. like process mm-hmm. this. What do you mean? And you walk out, and we had this giant oak tree that that dates back to 1840s, and it had done the same thing. It had listed and just come up, and it had fallen. And the miracle was, it fell to the south. If it had fallen to the east or the west or the north, it would have landed on our house or the neighbor's house. As it did, it fell blocking the street and the boulevard so it you know but it's pouring mm-hmm. rain and you're looking at this giant tree that is down trying to to process how how this whole thing works but same deal yeah and then you're just like what do i okay now what do i do and given the amount of rain and we've heard the news stories about how many people have had flooded basements and fallen trees and things like that you know your insurance people are backed up every repair place is is also backed up and when you say yeah no not a lot of uh not a lot of damage it, they move you right onto the end of the line <laughs> well what happened with us is is the whitefish bay forestry department came out and they took responsibility for cutting the portion of the tree that overlapped the, the road sure. to clear that but that still left th- this huge tree and i remember I, i'm now in the process of trying to find somebody and the first guy we found was somebody who 
wanted to like study the tree. Well, here, what well, you know, I, I this is this is eighteen forty. This will be really interesting. I said, no, 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 you don't, you don't, you're, you're, not, you're misreading me. <laughs> I want this gone. And then we found somebody, but it was. It was a couple thousand dollars to get yeah, I mean, this, it, this tree. Yeah. It was a few grand. Yeah, I, I think we're going to get lucky. Our insurance is going to cover the removal and the, the cutting of it. And the hard part's done. It's already out of the ground. So <laughs> they'll just slice it up and, and hopefully hopefully move on. But that comes later on today. We have people stopping by this afternoon to give us some estimates. Well, and so speaking we'll of stopping by, my experience was everybody in the neighborhood. Okay, so the next morning, Sunday morning dawns and the rain has finally stopped. And like everybody in the neighborhood is walking by going, huh, that tree fell down, didn't it? And you're just like, yep, that tree came down. What gave it away? Um, that, that was it. But again, it's the, the lucky thing is that if... And so that would be my only advice to you. And it was as, as, as I tried to process it. And of course, I'm sure it's in your case as well. Our tree took out all this landscaping. It, I mean, it was it, it wasn't. So it's not just the however many thousand dollars it was to get rid of the tree, but then you got to figure out what you're going to do on the landscaping and stuff like that. But the the good news was it could have been a lot worse. Could have been terrible. Yeah. You know, so yeah, no, we're counting our blessings here and are happy that it didn't really damage anything. Maybe we get some good firewood out of it. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. That Well, that was the thing. They asked me if I wanted, I, we had like two gas fireplaces and one natural fireplace and they, they were actually, well, do you want us to like cut this up for firewood and stuff? And I said, no, I just want it cool. Yeah, it, <laughs> I just, like, it, it sounds good in theory, right? Like right now I'm like, yeah, let's do it. But by the time it's all said and done, whenever that's going to be later on this week, hopefully. I, I, I want this gone. You're just yeah. like, I'm, I'm good. I'm good to go. I and, just don't want to see this. I don't care. Give the firewood away to the neighbors. Anybody that wants it can have it but i that was kind of my attitude i just want this gone because i just can't deal with the problem well we are not only brothers in sound but we're brothers in falling trees as well yeah first major issue with the home like this is our first we've been homeowners for three years this is the first real big issue so you know luckily we get like a nice little soft run no major damage or losses and we get to work with it could have been a lot right and and that's the way you have to look at it so that if people were wondering where you were yesterday it was dealing with the Damn, there's a tree. I, I remember that. I mean, I'm standing there, and at least for me, it was pouring rain, and it's a Saturday night. I remember I was upstairs watching Saturday Night Live, and the doorbell rings, and my wife is downstairs, and she's like, "Who who's coming there? And it's the police. And are you aware that there's a tree down, huh? You know, yeah. and, and even when you're looking at it, you're going, huh? <laughs> ah, the joys of homeownership. All right. I'm glad everybody is safe. Hey, I, I do want to just double back on something that I, I was mentioning just a couple minutes ago that's, that's generated this huge response. And, and I think there's just some people who, if, if you've moved here in the last 30 plus years, you don't remember like the sewer wars and, and things like that. Um, and you, you don't understand why it is that we're, we're dumping and we're having to, to dump partially treated wastewater into Lake Michigan. And I just kind of want to review the bidding a little bit. And again, this is never intended as a criticism for MMSD. The, the deep tunnel is working as it is intended. My point is, and the thing that a lot of us believed, is that the deep tunnel was an inferior choice way back when, and it was made so that you know, the city of Milwaukee didn't have to spend money and the suburbs would share in it. The deep tunnel is like a bathtub. Think of it like that. And when you get all this excess rainwater that comes in, eventually the bathtub fills up. And so you have to do if unless you want it to back up into people's basements, what you have to do is you have to dump stuff into Lake Michigan. So that and, and that doesn't happen very often. But when it does, it, it's an issue. The the. The question has always been, should we have done the deep tunnel in the first place? Where at least 
my guess is probably where you live, certainly where I live, the storm sewers are separated from the sanitary sewers. The sanitary sewers are the bathtubs and the toilets and the things like that that, that, that need to be treated, right? The storm sewers are, are just the rainwater that it, it comes down and it runs off. It doesn't hurt to treat rainwater, but there's no real reason to do it. And in most communities, that's exactly what happened. The rain comes down, it goes into the sanit- the storm sewers, and it gets dumped out into wherever it gets dumped out at. The stuff from the um, sanitary sewer goes in to be treated. Well, there's portions of Milwaukee and Shorewood where the sanitary sewers are combined with the storm sewers. So it's not just the stuff from your toilet and your bathtub that goes into the system to be treated, but it's all the rainwater that comes down. And it's that mixture which ends up overwhelming the the deep tunnel. On top of that, you have people in the city who still have rain gutters that are attached to the sewer system. So all that rainwater that's coming down, you know, mixes in again, and, and it's one of the things that contributes to the deep tunnel filling up. If it wasn't for the combined sewer system and all you were dealing with was the sanitary sewers and a little bit of leakage from groundwater or whatever, you, you wouldn't have 500 you know, million gallons you know, pouring in there. But we made the decision to save money for the city of Milwaukee to go with the deep tunnel route. I've always believed that that was an incorrect decision. And the truth of the matter is, for all the environmentalists out there, until we finally ultimately come to grips with the idea that the storm sewers are going to have to be separated in Milwaukee and in Shorewood, from the sanitary sewers until we, we bite the bullet and say to homeowners or the city or however you're going to pay for it, this is what you have to do. We're always going to have to live with dumping. That That's just kind of the unfortunate reality. And I believe, it, again, it goes back to a bad choice that we made decades ago, deciding to go the deep tunnel route instead of just separating the combined the sewer systems, the storm sewers from the sanitary sewers. Kind of that's the background on that. When we come back, have you ever been called? Stick around. The carnage in the stock market gets worse. Dow Jones Industrials down 912 points. That's 2.82%. The NASDAQ down 486 points. That's almost 4%. And I understand there's some people say, oh, this nothing to worry about, no problem. Well, I think for a lot of us, when you look at the amount of wealth that just has been lost over the course of the last year, it's tough to say no problem, nothing to see here. And of course, today's cratering comes on the heels of the fact that um, we are no closer the, to, to dealing with the inflationary problem. The numbers, the inflation numbers came in, inflation came in hot again. And contrary to what the president said a year ago, it does not appear that inflation is transitory. It appears with, uh, that it's with us for the long term, and the stock market is reflect is um, indicating and re- reacting accordingly. Ugly day in the stock market. Okay, tomorrow, the newest with the newest Marquette University Law School poll will, will drop with the numbers on, presumably they'll be polling on the Barnes-Johnson race, they'll be polling on uh, Tim Michaels versus Tony Evers, and they'll be asking other questions as well. And, and all of us, myself included, will be looking at the numbers and we'll be analyzing them for what this means and things like that. The, the issue, though, that is out there is how much do, do people in the media – Put too much stock in in these polls 
because as we have seen over the last several years, polling has has gotten several black eyes, that it's having trouble, I mean, keeping up with this, to the point that there's a story in the New York Times a couple days ago. The headline is, Are the Polls Wrong Again? Um, The final polls in the 2020 presidential election overstated Joe Biden's strength, especially in a handful of states. The polls reported that Biden had a small lead in North Carolina, but he lost the state to Donald Trump. The polls also showed Biden running comfortably ahead in Wisconsin, yet he won it by less than a percentage point. In Ohio, polls pointed to a tight race. Instead, Trump won it easily. In each of these states and some others, pollsters failed to reach a representative sample of the voters. One factor seems to be that Republican voters are more skeptical of mainstream institutions and are less willing to respond to the survey. If that's true, polls will often understate Republican support until pollsters figure out how to fix the the problem. The possibility offers reason to wonder whether Democrats are really doing as well in the midterm elections as the conventional wisdom holds. Recent polls suggest that Democrats are favored to keep control of the Senate narrowly while losing control of the House also narrowly. But the Democrats' strength in the Senate campaign depends partly on their strength in some of the states where polls exaggerated Democratic support two years ago, including the ones that were mentioned above, North Carolina, Ohio, and Wisconsin. So already there's people out there saying, okay, we we know what these poll numbers say, but can we really trust the polls? Which I, I think is an interesting question. Now, look, I think that when you have, for example, something like the Marquette poll, they don't they don't set out to be a biased poll. That, that's it's not like, hey, we're, we're going to try to skew our results. There are polls like that. There are polls that are commissioned by different candidates and stuff. And there, there, there's spins to those. But I don't think the Marquette University Law School poll is out there trying to intentionally spin stuff. The problem they have is the polls are only as good as the people that they are able to contact who are then willing to participate. And one of the things that I think most people would acknowledge is that they have a much harder time getting Republicans to participate or to answer questions truthfully than they they do the Democrats. And the result has been pretty consistently you see I'm going to use the word Democrat bias, but I mean just and I don't mean that bias in terms of their bias, the Democrats. I just mean that the numbers tend to show that you have, I don't maybe it's disproportionately more Democrats that are participating in the poll. So the numbers end up getting skewed. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Like I say, there's going to be a lot of fanfare, and I don't, I have no idea what the numbers are, are going to show and whether it's going to show Michaels ahead or Evers ahead or Barnes ahead or Ron Johnson ahead. I, I don't know any of that. But I do know that there's a lot of people who are going to view this as, oh, this shows where the, the race is at this point in time. And I guess my question is, do you believe the numbers when you see them in polls? 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Why or why not? Do you, and I don't want to say trust the polls, but I want to say do you believe the polls when they report stuff? And if not, why not? 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment. 
855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, there's another Marquette University Law School poll that's going to be dropping tomorrow, and it's going to get a lot of attention, and it's going to be seen as a barometer of where the Senate race is and where the governor's race are. My question is, and again, I asked this question in advance of the poll, so we don't know what the numbers are, but when, when you see these poll numbers out there, do you believe polls? And, and even the, the New York Times, they're, they're writing pieces saying, well, you know, historically what we've been seeing lately is for whatever reasons, these polls tend to overstate a Democratic support or support of Democrat candidates, including in states like Wisconsin. And they point to, for example, you know, what happened with Joe Biden in 2020. All right. So do you trust the numbers that come out? We continue the conversation in just a moment. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I personally don't believe in the polls. I usually answer when they call and give opposite information. For the most part, these are push polls. Polls mean nothing, as we have discovered over the years. Yard signs mean nothing. I agree with that. Go vote. That means way more. Jeff, I got called last night by a voter poll. It took a few minutes, but I cooperated. I do kind of look at the polls as a barometer that at least shows some temperament of the voting um, electorate. Let's see, 855-616-1620. I wouldn't even line my birdcage with those polls. Hmm. Interesting. Jeff, can you answer a very remedial question? Really, what good is polling in today's world? Is it supposed to be an influencer? Please explain if you have a minute. I'd like to set a baseline for the conversation. That is a very, very interesting point. And it's the difference between public polls and private polls. And, And let me explain. If you are a candidate, you want to get accurate polling because you want to know where you stand in, in the race. And, and it's important that the polls be right. And one of the problems with polling is that the, the way it works is every question you ask costs more money. So for a number of the public polls, and don't get me wrong, they're not trying to be wrong, but they're, they're also, they're trying to, they, they ask you, okay, are you a likely voter? For example, that's one of the things. So are you a likely voter? And you say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm likely to vote. Well, almost everybody says they're likely to vote because otherwise you don't want to sound like you're, you know, you're participating in this poll. You don't want to sound like you don't care. Well, the only way you really know if somebody is likely to vote or not is to ask them a series of other questions. Who did you vote for for president in 2020? Who did you vote for for president in 2016? Who did you vote for for Senate between such and such and such and such in 2012? See, the, the only way you can really tell that is to ask a whole bunch of follow-up questions. The problem is follow-up questions count, cost money. And so for a lot of the public polls, and I'm not talking about Marquette, I'm talking about a lot of the public polls in general, you, you say, are you likely to vote? Yes. Boom. Okay, they say they're likely to vote, so we're going to put them in that category. You don't spend the extra money it costs to ask a whole bunch of other questions to determine whether they are likely to vote. Because while it's true that somebody who's 60 years old and says they're likely to vote, who's never voted before, you know, maybe they will vote, but... More likely is it somebody who's 60 years old and has voted in every presidential and Senate election since they were 18. You know that that person, when they say they're likely to vote, they are. Now, candidates need to know that 
because candidates need to understand where where they fit in. You know, okay, what what is this race? Is this a three point race, etc.? And what happens on a lot of the private polling that campaigns do is you'll get this thing that says, okay. Because we're able to to map this out and we're able to figure out that if the turnout is 45 percent, this is what the race looks like. And if it's 50 percent, this is what the race looks like. And if it's 55 percent, this is what the race looks like. But that's because you spend the money to ask all these different follow up questions. Meanwhile, if you're just a public poll where you want to be right, you you don't ask that follow-up to determine how likely is somebody really to vote. So I think that's one of the things that that creates, I think, some of the the problems that you have that, you know, beyond the fact that you you have trouble identifying people and beyond the fact that people lie to to some of the public pollsters, it's the fact that, you know, you just, because it costs money to do these things, you don't do as deep a dive as maybe that you were supposed to you know, do. So getting back to the, the texter's question, which I think is a really good one. So so what is the purpose of, of polls? Well, if if you're a candidate, you're doing this polling because you want to see where you stand and, and you because that's going to influence decisions that you make over the course of the X number of weeks leading to the campaign. Are you really behind? Are you are you not behind, et cetera, et cetera? You know, um, then if you're going to be polling on issues as well, what are the issues that move the needle? Those sorts of things. The public polls, there, there's not that pressure to be right. And again, I'm not saying they set out to be wrong, but there's not that pressure to be to be right because you, you put these numbers out there and then if if it turns out that, I don't know, eight weeks from now that the numbers are, are really, really off. You say, oh, polls are just a snapshot in time and, you know, there's no problem with the methodology, just different dynamics changed or something like that. There, there's no there's no responsibility. There's no accountability because it doesn't matter. So it, from the perspective of the phrase the texter used is, are are these public polls really just influencers? I, I think that there's an element of that that's there. It's just kind of the general curiosity that's out there because you could come out with a poll that says X candidate is leading Y candidate, and and th- there's no there's no responsibility. If it turns out to be wrong, it's wrong. If it turns out to be right, it, it's right. So it, it is more just kind of that horse race sort of thing that that's out there when it comes to you know where the campaigns stand. My take on this, I think that. Um, I think they've got to do a better job of improving the methodology. I think it's unquestionable that the numbers understate the amount of support, let's just talk about Wisconsin, that the Republican candidates are going to have. And that's not to say that the Republicans are, are going to win. Remember, the, the the polls predicted Hillary Clinton beating Donald Trump and, and actually beating him relatively handily in 2016, and, and that didn't happen. So whether it was turnout being depressed or whether it was just sampling errors or whatever, there, there's, there's some real high-profile misses that are out there. So I think you have to take these numbers with a grain of salt, and I say that in advance, for example, of the poll numbers dropping tomorrow, whether they show your candidate ahead or behind, I think for the major races in Wisconsin this year, Senate and and governor, I think you're looking at some very, very close races that are going to be decided based on turnout and things like that. And if a poll comes back and shows one candidate ahead by five or six or seven points, I'm going to be extremely skeptical of that because I I just I don't believe that. I think these races are going to be extremely close one way or the other. 
as far as participating in a poll, I've never done it. I've been asked several occasions, but I mean, I've got a license, so it's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to pass on this. If you have and you've told the truth to the pollsters, you know, good for you. In any event, the new poll drops tomorrow, and I'm sure we'll have an opportunity to talk about that probably during this hour of the program. The bloodbath in the stock market continues right now. The Dow down 1,010 points. The NASDAQ down 529. That's 4%, 4.32%. The Dow's down 3%. And for people who are just tuning in, it's it's all because of the inflation numbers. You know, the president said a year ago that inflation was going to be transitory, and um, the, the, the numbers came in hot. Um, inflation up 8.3% August to August. And I think what's even more troubling is people were hoping it was going to level off or go down. Inflation up by 0.1% since last month. So this is obviously going to lead the Federal Reserve to increased interest rates and things of the like. So that's, if you're wondering why the stock market is in the tank big time today, that's, that's what it is. There is an editorial piece in the Wall Street Journal that makes a point that I have been trying to make for, for years when it comes to climate change. You know, when we, we talk a lot about virtue, you know, global warming, let's use that phrase for a minute, global warming. Um, well, what, what's inherent in, in global warming? We're, we're talking about the globe. And we, we talk about, for example, the things they're doing in California. They're going to force people out of cars. You're not going to be able to drive internal combustion cars. You're going to have to go to the electric cars, whether you want it or not, and whether we have a power grid that can support that or, or not, because we, we care about climate change. We care about global warming. Well, the truth of the matter is, okay, we are only one small part of this. Here's the story in the Wall Street Journal. China, China's coal power boom. An unspoken truth of the climate change crusade is this. Anything the U.S. does to reduce emissions won't matter much to global temperatures. U.S. cuts will be swamped by increases in India, Africa, and especially China. Look no further than China's boom in new coal-fired electricity. Under the non-binding 2015 Paris Climate Agreement, China can increase its emissions until 2030. And is it ever? Between 2015 and 2021, China's emissions increased by some 11%. The U.S. has reduced its emissions by some 6%. Beijing made minimal new commitments, but the bottom line is they're not paying much attention to this. And then it goes, and it's talking about how China is planning on or building coal-fired plants, large coal-fired plants. Now, the, the way... The, the U.S. has tried to, you know, adjust to climate, climate change numbers is, is they've built natural gas plants that emit, le, emit less CO2 and are replacing coal power in the U.S. And that's where most of the decline in greenhouse gases in the U.S. comes from. However, Biden and the climate lobby want to cut off financing for natural gas production and make drilling and transport more expensive and difficult. Okay. China, on the other hand, is doing the opposite thing. The Communist Party's priority is economic growth, higher living standards, and becoming the world's leading power. They don't care about carbon emissions. And that's just the, the bottom 
line here. Um, U.S. This is the, the article continues. U.S. climate envoy John Kerry, remember him, spent much of 2021 trying to convince leaders in Beijing to reduce emissions, but they won't even slow down their construction of new coal plants. Chinese officials have also made clear that any concessions on climate will require U.S. concessions on things like Taiwan and human rights. So, I mean, here here's the bottom line. While the Biden administration, whatever it does to restrict U.S. fossil fuels, no matter what economic harm it causes to our country, China is moving ahead with coal imports, coal mining and coal power because they want to become the world's leading economy. And you you, you know that they must be kind of shaking their head going, I can't believe that countries like the United States are, are just just you know, acting in such a self-defeating fashion. I mean, see, here's the bottom line. When you deal with global warming, again, like I said, it's global. So less than until you can convince Africa, India, China, that they want to move away from coal-powered plants, everything we do here in this country is going to be a drop in the bucket. So we're talking about making significant changes in the way we operate, running up all sorts of costs. And at the end of the day, it's not going to make any difference as long as China is building giant coal plants, as long as India is building giant coal plants, as long as countries in Africa are building giant coal plants. And so, and they're going to continue doing that because they care about building their economies. They are becoming more industrialized. So when, whenever we, we get lectured about climate and this and that, and you have California saying, we're not going to allow you to build houses that have natural gas. You're going to have to figure out, you know, how to heat your home or cool your home, heat your home based on electricity and stuff like that. And, and we don't know where the electricity is going to come from. And you talk about rolling power outages and all these types of things and strains on the grid, all because we want to, you know, do more for the planet. Well, okay. The only way you can effectively do that is again, if, if countries like China, decide that they want to get on board, and they're not. That is just the ultimate reality of this. They're, they're not. So the question is, why do we commit economic suicide when we can't bring these other countries along? And by us committing economic suicide, all we do is sit by and strengthen the hand of places like China and India or whatever. It's a great piece that's in the Wall Street Journal, and it makes so much sense. But, of course, that that's not what people around here, don't you care about the climate? Yeah, I, I care about the climate. But, you know, the, the answer isn't not having natural gas in this country. The answer is figuring out how you can make developing nations like China or India, you know, play by the same rules as everybody else. And the truth is they're not going to do it. A couple of people are texting, well, at least we're doing something. Okay, that, that's that's the definition of virtue signaling. And and again, until until you can get countries like China and India to sign on to the, this idea that we need to stop using coal plants and control these kind of carbon emissions, until you can get them to do that in a meaningless, meaningful way, everything else is just kind of virtue signaling. And we can you know put this country through economic hardships and things like that, and we can ha- achieve like modest reductions, but it's not going to make any difference. That's just the reality that, that is out there. And I understand some people don't want to grasp that, but until and and I don't know how you I don't know how you 
you tell China, which wants to be the nation's, the world's dominant economy, and they don't care about, you know, they don't care about whether they're using coal-fired power plants and all. All they care about is they want to get as much energy as they possibly can, and they want to do it in the cheapest fashion possible. So they're building power plant, coal-fired power plant after coal-fired power plant after coal-fired power plant. That's just the, the reality, and there's nothing that we can do to stop them. The same thing is true with India, which, again, wants cheap energy and doesn't care about the environmental impact. And if you think that's harsh, that's just the reality. So the question becomes, why in this country are we talking about draconian means? Here, we're we're not going to drill for oil. We're not going to take natural gas, which is relatively clean and inexpensive. We're, We're going to do everything we can to discourage this sort of production. We're going to force Americans out of their automobiles, the internal combustion engines, which are still comparatively cheaper and much more practical. We're going to force this on them in the name of global warming when large portions of the globe just don't care about that. I mean, that's that's the reality. And until you can figure out a way to get everybody to play on an equal playing field, it, it just it doesn't make any sense to tie one hand behind your back economically. And, and you know, you know, in China, where they've got this long game that they play about, you know, their, the goal ultimately world domination and stuff, that they've got to be looking at the stuff that we're doing in the United States going, you know, that those people, that these Western democracies, they're just going to, they're going to implode at some point in time as we go and engage in these virtue signaling things. And don't get me wrong, I love the planet as much as anybody. And at some point in time, the electric grid will be, will, well, I mean, you're never going to have enough solar power or wind power to heat homes in Wisconsin in January. That's just never going to happen. But I mean, I I appreciate at some point in time, maybe the electric cars will make sense across the, the board. That's not the case right now. And trying to force it in the name of global warming when other major, major countries just flat out aren't on board and are never going to be on board, to me, makes no sense. When we come back, are we safe anywhere? Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Ron Johnson coming up in about a half hour. Um, Alex Crow, before your time, but the original crew of Monday Night Football, when it was on ABC, mm-hmm. used to be um, Howard Cosell and Frank Gifford and Don Meredith, who was okay. the former quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. He's going to call him Dandy Don. Sure. And he, at the end of the, you know, Wayne Larry throws the dagger. Don Meredith would always sing the song, Turn Out the Lights, the Party's Over, right? <laughs> that, that, that was it. Well, I'm starting to kind of feel like we're at the end of a Monday night football game around here because we are scheduled to move from Radio City in two weeks, <laughs> a little, little less than two weeks. Originally, our first day was going to be supposed to be Monday the 26th, and now my boss just said, probably looking like that next day, maybe. <laughs> but I'm, I'm walking, during the break, I was kind of walking around this building. There, there's huge chunks of, the lights are now turned off in the different hallways and yeah. stuff. We had some flooding, uh, I believe uh, Scott Warris and I talked about that on WTMJ Nights as well, but some flooding in here over the weekend. I think a lot of people were dealing with that over the past few days. We just had a, a printer go out down the hall there. We've had uh, a few hiccups along the way as we're waiting to uh, get out of here and move off to the new building, it, it, it haven't is. we? I mean, it, it's really kind of spooky to walk around this 
building. And I mean, I've been here for going on 25 years. And you're walking around and you're seeing all these empty offices and all these lights that are turned out and the, these bins of – there's this one bin here that are all these different awards that people have gotten <laughs> over, over the years, plaques and stuff like that. And they're all piled up in this trash bin and stuff. And it's like, huh, this is really going to happen. Yeah, we're basically uh, – whatever you can carry on your back is coming with you and everything else is going to be thrown into a trash bin. We hey. are uh, we are getting close to that move-out day. It is, it is just dark hallways and stuff. But I was struck thinking, huh, I didn't even know – I would not know where the light switch was for this place because the lights have always been on. But now we're turning it off. It's funny because I, I work Sunday to Thursday. So I'm in here Sundays when there's very few people usually. And it's starting right. to feel more and more like those weekend shifts with uh, that entire side of the building pretty much empty and dark, like you said. Right. Well, yeah, for people who don't know, our, our office staff moved downtown uh, several weeks ago, or at least, yeah, several weeks ago. Yep. And so the only, the only folks left are those of us who are on the <laughs> air and our, our producers who keep us on the air and one or two engineers who are hanging there. And other than that, it's it's pretty much, this is it. It's pretty much like most of the engineers are even at the new place now and making sure that we are going to be able to move there on time. So uh, we're, we're hey. kind of on our own for the most part it here, is. it seems I, I, like. I was just struck by all these, like, dark dark hallways and things like that. I was actually talking to somebody from um, the WTMJ side of the building. And I see my big question, and this is what people ask me a lot about this building, is what what's going to happen mm-hmm. to it? And of course, I, as I explained, that we no longer, WTMJ Radio no longer has a, a corporate, we don't share a corporate identity with WTMJ for, for the last four years or so. So we've just been leasing space in this building. But we lease a, a good chunk of it. And Channel 4... I would say only uses about a quarter of the building. So yeah. once we leave, it's going to be like three quarters empty. And I, I have I have no idea what's going to happen with this. Now I wonder if Channel 4 will sprawl out a little bit more, if they'll try and find some different tenants. I guess we'll have to see. But uh, boy, like you said before, we, uh, we are moving out here quickly at the end of the month. And there are just <laughs> each, each new day, it seems like one thing moves from here down there or stops working here. And we're like, you know what? We'll figure it out when we get to the new place. It's that, fine. Yeah, somebody says, is the TV side moving? No, no, no. That, that, that's, the, that, that's the point. Four years ago, what used to be journal communications w- was separated. And it used to be, mm-hmm. like when I started, the journal broadcast, journal communications owned the newspaper. Okay, well, now the newspaper is owned by Gannett. And then you had the communications side of it, which owned various TV stations and various radio stations, and that's all been separated over the years, and we're part of Good Karma. We have really, other than we're a tenant in this building, and there are friends and, and partners, but there, there's no corporate relationship at all anymore. Yeah, I think some folks might get confused. We have a news relationship with them, sure. right? Where like we can communicate with their reporters and use sure. some of their audio from the scene. But uh, you're right. There's no sort of corporate entity tying us in. So we're uh, we're out of here. We're heading, we're heading off to the new place in a couple of weeks. It's exciting. I went, here's a text, I went to the Grand Avenue, and I, we're, we're, you call it the Avenue, it's no longer Grand Avenue, it's, it's the Avenue, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make that, mis- it's sort of like, I, I think most of the times now I get to American Family Field, not, you know, not Miller Park, mm-hmm. but uh, somebody says, I went to the Grand Avenue, and I couldn't find where you are in there, I walked through the whole thing. Well, you go into the food hall, and it's on... Our studios, and they're not in operation yet, but they're being built. You can actually kind of, I think, look in and see them. Our studios are on what would be the um, da, 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 the west side of 
of the food hall. Yeah. If I've got my directions correct. I, I there. think I think I made a note that our newsroom is looking out at. Uh, I think it's Dog City, the hot dog stand that's out there. So if you find that in the in the uh, food hall area, you'll be able to find the newsroom and the on air studio. Is that yeah. what it's in? Yeah. I could I could dive. I was only down there once, and and whatever it was wasn't operating. So it's it's we, we've got a view of Dog City. That we do. We're looking forward to it. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Go turn some lights on, Alex. You know, we're not, we're not ready to head out there yet. Okay. Um, Ron Johnson coming up in a couple minutes. I, I, I have another one of these stories, and I, I understand. I'm trying not to be Debbie Downer on the program today, but there's just a lot of stuff going on. And, and these are ones that these – are, these are crime stories that get my attention because it, it can happen anywhere, anyhow. Okay, here's the deal. 85th and Stickney, 6 o'clock last night. Now, th- this is this is Tosa. Um, Stickney is a, a, a small street just a little bit south of North Avenue. So if you can picture this, if you can imagine, like, I mean, think of the heart of Wauwatosa, like, like 76th and, and North Avenue. And then you, you move across North Avenue, and then you've got Mayfair Shopping Center, which is on, what, 107th or, or whatever that is. So this is just a couple blocks south of North Avenue, 85th Street. So you're, you're really what I would describe as the heart of Wauwatosa. The, these are nice these are nice residential areas, okay? Not grand homes or anything like that, but they're nice residential areas. Okay, th- this is what happened. Six o'clock last night. Woman um, in her vehicle, in the driveway of, of her house, and she's got you know her kid that I think is in the back seat, right? So... She's she's in a she's got a Mercedes. So she's in a Mercedes SUV. She's in the driveway outside her home when a guy six o'clock at night, when a guy with a gun comes up and forces her out of the car. She's in the driveway of her own house in Wauwatosa at six o'clock at night. She says she pleaded with the armed guy to let her get her son from the back seat of the Mercedes. He gave her moments to get the child out, and then he drives off in the SUV. Um, Wauwatosa police say that the Milwaukee officer saw the car, chased the Mercedes later on to Washington Park where it crashed, and they arrested the driver. Um, so they've, they've, they've caught the guy, I guess. He tried to run away, but they, they caught him, and they've recovered the car. But, but that's not the point of this story. The point of this story is that it's getting so that around here, you're not safe anywhere. This isn't, this isn't a deal where somebody left their car running and unoccupied because they're warming it up in the middle of January. This isn't a situation where you've got somebody that's in a arguably sketchy neighborhood at, at 3 o'clock in the morning. This isn't even a situation where you've got somebody that left their car unlocked in some parking lot or something like this. This is a woman— Six o'clock at night in her driveway in Wauwatosa with her kid in the back seat of the car, and you got a guy with a gun who comes up and, and sticks the gun in her face and steals the car. Now it I think it it appears and that that there was another situation where the I think it's gonna turn out that the, the carjacker's partner was driving a stolen Hummer and, and that took off as as well. And they ended up, that car crashed a little bit later on and flipped over and they caught that person. But I guess that the point of this is crime is getting so bad around here that you really, 
I don't know where you go for safety. If we are at a point where you can't sit in your driveway in Wauwatosa at 6 o'clock at night without fear that somebody is going to come up and stick a gun in your face and steal your car and maybe, 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 but for the grace of God, drive off with your kid in the back seat. I, 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 don't, know, I don't know where you go. All I know is that we're at a point here where, where crime is just flat out out of control. And it's not getting better. And for everybody that says, well, the numbers, there's not as many car thefts as there were this year from last year. Well, okay, yes, that might be technically true, but it's not saying that things are getting any safer. And I I think the frustrating thing is you get lip service from politicians about this. You get frustration from the police. But at the end of the day, we get no meaningful change. And that change isn't going to happen until we have a sea change of ideas and we start locking up the people. When I reference this story on Twitter, and you can follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. What do you want to bet that, you know, when charges are issued against the carjacker and or the other guy that was driving the stolen Hummer, his partner, what do you want to bet that they have lengthy criminal records and that they're either on bail or they're on some form of supervision or something like that? And my guess is it's overwhelming that that's the case. And yet we still refuse to take this criminal element and to hold them accountable. And more and more you have innocent people. I can only imagine how terrified this woman must have been. Can you imagine you're sitting in your driveway of your house and this is in in, in a nice suburb you know, in this area, you've got your kid in your back. Can you imagine how traumatized you're going to be for, for years and years after this sort of thing happened? And unfortunately, it happens way, way, way too often. So very glad to have you with us. Uh, the route in the stock market continues. I hate to be the bringer of bad news, but right now the Dow Jones Industrials down 1,148 points. That's 3.5%. Uh, the NASDAQ down 578 points. That That's 4.72%. If you were planning on retiring anytime soon, given some of these huge market uh, drops, uh, good luck with that. And again, it, it's all because the inflation numbers. Uh, the inflation, I think the hope was it wasn't going to go up, and it, the, the numbers came in hot. The uh, 8.3% increase in prices over last year, August to August, and the, the more disturbing thing, that's scary enough, but also inflation up point zero point one percent um just July to August. So and that's they that is taking into account the fact that you had gasoline prices that came down. A lot of people were saying, well, okay, everything else you know, gasoline prices have dropped, so you know, that should make up even if other stuff has gone up and, and it hasn't. So just just an ugly ugly day for the economy. All right. Let, let, let's talk just a little piece of, of good news from the world stage. Matter of fact, it's more than a little piece of good news. When Russia invaded Ukraine, what was that, like sometime in February? The, the thinking in Russia was, this is going to be a walkover. You know, the Russian military is going to move in, and they're going to take control of Ukraine, and the whole operation is going to be over in two or three days, and then the rest of it is just going to be mopping up. Well, it, it hasn't worked out that way. I think the, the Russian army was exposed in some respects as being a paper tiger. Their supply lines got stretched. Uh, Ukraine resistance was much greater than people thought. And the Western alliance was able to, to hold together. You, you had 
I think one of the things Putin was counting on was the fact that the West can't agree about anything. And so, you know, Germany and France and the United States and Great Britain, they would never be able to come together and maintain a united front on this. And they have. There's just no question about it. And I give all the leaders credit. And look, it's no secret. I think Joe Biden's done just an absolutely terrible job as president. But I do think you know, his role, and in some respects, the, the U.S. has played a sort of behind-the-scenes role, which I think is, is wise in helping, you know, promote the Ukraine existence. But, but I mean, I, I think I give Biden credit, just like I give a lot of the other leaders credit. And, and now, if you haven't been following this, not only has the, the Russian offensive stalled, but now Russia in parts of Ukraine, certainly not all of it, but, you know, Russia is in, in full retreat. Um, there, there is this, you know, counteroffensive that they have launched. Uh, they've reclaimed several northeastern villages. They forced the retreat of the overwhelmed Russian troops from the region, and it's, it's in some cases they're, they're being routed. And now you have, I mean, it's kind of interesting to read some of the stories about this. You now have, you know, people in Russia who are now even on like their their national TV and stuff who have been like touting this and oh this is just this greatest thing in the world they they're now saying hey look the, these goals that we thought we were accomplishing we're 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 not doing this and we're we're going to have to make you know a decision to either sue for peace or make this commitment to just reinstitute reinstitute the conscription, the, the draft, and increase our military presence and, and then just go in with both feet. Um, the stories are Russian troops dropping their rifles and fleeing. And, you know, um, there, there's just no question that Vladimir Putin badly, badly, badly misinterpreted what I, I, he, I mean, whatever he thought was going to happen just clearly hasn't. You now have countries that weren't part of NATO that have now become a part of NATO, and you have a Western alliance that is much more unified than ever before. And there, there's no question that that's very, very good news. I mean, I guess the scary thing is, what will Putin who what will Putin do um, at, at this point in time if he recognizes he's starting to lose? You know, will he be? I don't know, tempted to use nuclear weapons. You would hope that that wouldn't be the case. One of the things that they have been doing is they've resumed some of their shelling of civilian areas, um, again, demonstrating how monstrous this regime is. But if you are looking for some good news for everybody who just thought there's no way that Ukraine can fight off you know, Russian troops, well, now it's Russia that is certainly on the defensive. They're withdrawing, consolidating, whatever you want to say. But it's very, very good news for Ukraine and very, very bad news for Russia. And I think that's good news for freedom-loving people all over the world. I know a lot of people are wrestling with damage to their homes. We're talking Mike Spalding had a giant tree come down as a result of all the rain. And I know people are dealing with flooding and flooded basements and stuff like that. I don't mean to minimize any of that because that's just awful. But I was reading this story. It's actually out of the L.A. Times. It's an interview with a guy who does building inspections. Seven words no homeowner wants to hear. Quote, there's a human skull beneath this house. <laughs> it's like that's it's it's like the guy's a home inspector. He goes out and he like looks at basements and stuff. And yeah, I mean, no, right? There's all sorts of things that you don't want to hear. I don't you don't I, you don't want to hear about mold. You don't want to hear about animal infestation. You don't want to hear about like water in the basement. None of that. But I got to admit that 
there's a human skull beneath this house. That is probably, of those seven words, that's probably as bad as anything. Right? Your house is haunted at that point. That's all <laughs> yeah, I can say. Right. There's like, nothing you can do. Well, I, well, Alex, you know, I've got some good news <laughs> and some bad news. The The good news is the, the foundation appears to be okay, and the bad news is there's a human skull underneath <laughs> it. It's just like, uh, huh, <laughs> okay. Are you sure it's not water check again? <laughs> yeah, 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 right, exactly. Maybe that's it. So, very glad to have you with us. We have an election coming up in not that long, and one of the premier races is, of course, the U.S. Uh, race for the Wisconsin's U.S. Senate seat, Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes against incumbent United States Senator Ron Johnson. We are now joined by Senator Ron Johnson. Senator, good afternoon. Well, Jeff, hope you're doing well. I am well as as well as I can be. Looking at what's going on in the stock market today, the uh, Dow Jones down over 1,200 points, the Nasdaq down 630, mostly based on on uh, inflation coming in hot. Senator, what needs to be done about inflation? We need to stop this massive deficit spending. As Milton Friedman, my favorite economist, always used to point out, that inflation is always and everywhere. A monetary phenomenon and we have just been printing trillions and trillions of dollars that we don't have uh, we've been spending it on you know, a lot of benefit programs that are keeping people from entering the workforce we have very low labor participation rates so now you don't have factories being able to hire people to fill their shifts they can't demand, meet the demand for their products so you have even fewer products for those trillions of dollars to be chasing throw on top of all that the Democrats' war on fossil fuel, which is purposefully, I mean, you have to understand this, purposefully driven up the cost of energy and the price of gasoline. They, wa- they want to do that to force you into buying a very expensive electric vehicle. So, again, this didn't just happen. Uh, this was caused by Democrat governments, Democrat policies. By the way, all the policies that uh, my opponent, Mandela Barnes, supports, including, just throw in there, 87,000 new IRS agents uh, targeting the middle class. Uh, Senator, you, you can always tell when you get to a certain point in, a, in an election campaign because of the tone and tenure of uh, temperament of some of the ads. And I've started seeing some of the, the anti-Johnson ads that, that feature one or two senior citizens talking about how you want to end Social Security, end Medicare, let me just ask you flat out, where, where do you stand on that, and, and where is this coming from? I want to save Social Security and Medicare. Now, Jeff, just you know, an acid test here to prove how absurd this is on its face. What elected official has ever said or would ever say they want to cut or end Social Security? Nobody has. Nobody ever would. What I've been pointing out is the greatest threat to any federal government program is the massive deficit spending, our growing debt. That's what's putting at risk uh, any kind of benefit. But one of the reasons you're experiencing 8.2% inflation, which, by the way, just put that in perspective, too. A dollar you held at the start of the Biden administration is now worth 88.3 cents. Or put it another way, let's say you're a senior on a fixed income and, and you were fortunate enough to be able to save prior to retirement. If, if you started out with $100,000 in your retirement account today, this is just in 18, 19 months after Biden took president, the, took the office, now that retirement fund is worth $88,300. Basically, Democrat 
inflation has robbed you of 12% of your savings. That, that's what inflation does. That's why I call it a Democrat tax on all of us, but it particularly hits seniors that rely on Social Security. So, no, I want to save Social Security. I'm just pointing out the fact that, you know, these trust funds, uh, Medicare, one of their trust funds runs out in 2028, Social Security about 2035. If we're going to have the funds to plus up the benefits that have been promised, and I want to preserve those benefits, we better stop spending money on all this nonsense, like $369 billion on green energy boondoggles. Okay, so again, I've got the courage to tell people the truth, and when you tell people the truth, uh, you get slaughtered politically because the other side lies. Let's face it, Democrats have no problem lying, smearing, assassinating my character, engaged in politics, personal destruction, but that's what's going on here. No, I want to save Social Security and Medicare. Don't believe their lies. Um, one of the other things that's out there I've seen recently is this argument that, you know, Ron Johnson supports a federal abortion ban. Now, that's not what I've ever understood your position to be. Well, I was shocked uh, that PolitiFact actually ruled that claim mostly false. It should be completely false. Um, but again, a complete national abortion ban would be no abortions. Uh, I have voted for a 20-week ban, a limitation on abortions. Now, I supported the uh, Mississippi law to overturn Roe v. Wade so that we, the people, can decide in 50 states. And that's really my position, is allow we, the people, to decide the question that we have to make decisions on. This profound moral issue is at what point does society have the obligation to protect the life of an unborn child? And this is balancing the rights of the mother with the rights of an unborn child. And it's a profound moral issue. And rather than nine members of the Supreme Court, quite honestly, even 535 members of Congress at this point in time, it should be left up to we, the people, in the states. It'll take some time. It'll be multiple elections, maybe multiple referendums, till we'll start seeing a consensus. And I think we'll find out it'll end up probably similar to Europe where they put limitations on abortion. I I don't know the exact calculation, but somewhere in the now, somewhere in that pain-capable window there is where most European countries have, have uh, decided, have formed a consensus around protecting life. Senator, one of the, the one of, I guess, the, the frustrations that I've had in, in watching this campaign is I've seen lots and lots of scrutiny of your various positions that you've taken. But when it comes to your opponent, very, very few. For example, you know, he, he's photographed with a picture holding a, a T-shirt that says abolish ICE. But then he says, well, I don't want to abolish ICE. I, I want to reform it. And, and nobody ever follows up with what exactly do you mean? If you don't want to defund the police, what exactly do you mean? Has that been frustrating at all during this campaign? Yeah, enormously. But again, he doesn't give them really opportunities to follow up. Um, you know, Jeff, he's in hiding. He can't afford to let Wisconsinites know who he is and what his true positions are on these issues because he is a radical leftist. But as I've been saying, if in a sane world, with an unbiased media, these elections nationwide wouldn't even be close. I mean, the Democrats, through their policy, through their governance, have driven America into a ditch. I mean, 75% of, to 80% of Americans agree with that. They, we're on the wrong track. But, I mean, the open borders, the, the flood of illegal immigrants, the deadly drugs, killing our citizens, 40-year high inflation, record gas prices down a little bit, but still a lot higher than when Biden took office, rising crime, record murders in Milwaukee. 
But it's, again, these things didn't just happen. It's not like Biden and Democrats are just unlucky. They caused all of this. They are the root cause. So they should be swept from office. But we've got a media that are advocates for the left. Let's face it. I mean, they're, we don't have an unbiased media. And so they cover up for Biden. They're covering up for Barnes. And they're letting him get away with being in hiding. Senator, typically, you, you just mentioned crime, and obviously because of my background, crime is something we talk about a lot on this program. You know, crime is, is generally viewed as a local sort of issue, local police department, local DAs. On the federal level, what, what are some of the things that you would like to see done to help us out with this, this epidemic crime wave that, that we have going on now? Well, there are some resources we can provide. We can provide provide training, but, you know, law enforcement should be a local state issue. And, you know, Wisconsin right now, I thought, did an excellent job talking about exactly what the positions of the current Wisconsin administration, Governor Evers, Lieutenant Governor Barnes, is. They they prioritized releasing half of Wisconsin's prison population. They've already released about 15 percent, 884 criminals. Uh, Only 11 percent were nonviolent. So of that 884, there were 270 criminals who either committed, and most of them committed, or attempted murder. 44 child rapists have been released. I'm looking at the profile of some of these guys. Some of them are reasonably young. They can, they can offend again. So, I mean, how is that going to reduce crime? How is that going to make our community safer? But that is the ideology of the left. It doesn't work. Like I said, this, this fundamental transformation of America, which Biden and, and uh, Obama took up, uh, talked about, is fundamentally destroying this country. And Mandela Barnes supports all of these disastrous policies that are causing so much pain for Wisconsinites and their families. Senator, uh, elections are about the past and they're also about the future. In, in just the, the brief time we have left, if you were elected to another term come November, is, is there something in particular that you would like to accomplish? Is, is there one overarching goal that you might have? We have to unify and heal our nation, Jeff. We just do. Yeah, you know, we are so weak because of the divisiveness. Now, let's face it, pushed by the left. That was Biden's number one goal. Eight times during his inaugural address, he said his number one goal is to unify and heal this nation. He's done the exact opposite. He's become the divider in chief. But in terms of policy, we have to grow our economy. Uh, we know how to do it. You have to have reasonable regulations. You have to have a competitive tax system. You should be energy independent. Uh, you should secure our borders so that you have a safe you know, environment. You ought to fight crime so you have safe and secure communities. It's pretty simple what the formula is, but the, the radical left, people like Mandela Barnes, have taken us on exactly the wrong and, and, and opposite path. So, again, it's, it's focusing on the things that produce prosperity, safety, and security, because that's a goal we all share. We should be unified. We should be pursuing a safe, secure, and prosperous Wisconsin and America. Senator Ron Johnson, thanks for joining us this afternoon. I'm sure we'll have an opportunity to speak sometime between now and November. Have a great day. Stay well. Absolutely. That's Ron Johnson. And and by the way, I I will say this this publicly, Mandela Barnes has a standing invitation to come on to this program anytime he chooses. And believe me, I would love to have the opportunity to ask Mandela Barnes about a number of issues. So standing invitation. I get these tweets from people or texts saying, you know, is, is he going to come on? If Mandela Barnes wants to come on this program, believe me, I will make time for it. I guarantee it.
For people who are wondering, for the governor's race, Tony Evers and Tim Michaels, there's going to be one and only one debate between the two. That's going to be on October 14th, sponsored by the Wisconsin Broadcasters Association. And um, actually, Dr. Ken Harris, my my colleague, um, who's on The Truth in the Afternoon on our sister station, he's going to be one of the people that are asking questions. There is the Wisconsin Broadcasters Association has also announced a U.S. Senate debate for October 7th. but neither Senator Johnson nor Mandela Barnes have yet commented on that. But it appears that there will be one Senate debate. Uh, Ron Johnson has said he'd be available for more. But at least right now, my understanding is October 7th is at this point in time, it's the only Senate debate that at least has been scheduled between the two of those candidates. And I know for certain that there's only going to be one gubernatorial debate between Tony Evers and Tim Michaels. That's kind of unfortunate. I mean, I, I think... You know, for a Senate race or a governor's race, it would be nice to, I don't know, I think three is always kind of a nice number. And you do it with maybe some different, you, you do it, I think, with in, in different sort of settings. You know, maybe one's a town hall sort of setting. One is the traditional debate setting where you've got the people from the print media or the electronic media asking questions. And then I've always kind of liked the ones where you get the just the, the free-for-alls, where it's just kind of the, the two of them, and it's one moderator, and you just let the two candidates go out there and kind of, uh, you know, see you know who who just comes out on top so i I would love to see three debates not going to happen in the governor's race and i don't think it's probably likely to happen in the senate race and i understand some people don't think that debates move the needle and all it is is um like get out the vote stuff and tv ads and maybe there's an element of that but i'm i'm just old school enough to say i still i like the different candidate debates and to me I think if they only have one debate each, I think it's going to be very, very disappointing because even if very few people watch, you still – they're always newsworthy events. 